What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today we are broadcasting from New York City and Oceanside, California. My special guest is none other than the legendary <laughs> blues. She's an international superstar. I've said this before. Miss Shamika Copeland, how you doing? I'm good, Joe. How are you doing? Just hanging on in here. <laughs> I'm enjoying semi-retirement. I'm just... <laughs> it must feel like that for you because you're always on the go. So, I mean, I, I kind of, after I had my little boy, he just turned four, what? I slowed down a little bit after that. So um, it just seems like partial retirement for me. <laughs> It is, you know, I, I found at the beginning of the of the of the pandemic, and we we were like everyone I would imagine used like it shut down the second week of March. And when I got home, I was I still like have a bag pack, and I'm like in a cat like state of readiness, ready to go again. Yeah. Yeah. And after each month, my posture kind of just yeah, I'm just <laughs> settling in for a long haul now. Nope. Yeah. Nothing to do, just hanging out. Yeah. Look exactly. at the neon signs. Are you going to bed earlier, Joe? <laughs> yes, and it's scary because I'm actually becoming a morning person. Which... Yeah, and I'm concerned that eventually, like, I don't even know how I'll stay up late enough to do a gig. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, I have a, I, I'm watching, the, um, I've, I've been watching a, a Jeopardy, and I've been watching Wheel of Fortune, and <laughs> By eight o'clock, <laughs> it feels like it's the day is over. Yeah. And, I'm like, and I'm thinking about, you know, trying not to have coffee before bed and everything and unwind. And you're going, eight o'clock is showtime. That's yeah. what we that's what I'm supposed to be peaking and yeah. Yeah. so so how what was the what was the last gig you played? The last gig I did was in Canada at the end of February. Um yeah, I don't I don't even remember where I was. That's terrible. But that was my last gig and that was the last time I saw my guys. And then we were supposed to head to Switzerland in March. Then everything shut down like right. like days before we were about to leave. So Well, I I had a few friends that were over there like in Europe touring. You know, because nobody there was there was whispers of this thing coming and if it was it going to scale, Italy was getting hit really hard with it. But it was like nobody really I don't think it really took, you know, got traction enough for people to cancel before they would go. And and some people got they were like they were literally told you need to get on a plane now. Now. Yeah. And yeah. take what you got, you know, and it, it is, you know, because they would have gotten stuck there. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's do you um now that now that you're a mom, um how do you how do you how do you balance between you know you know motherhood and 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 being a superstar? Do you, does does your 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 kid travel with you? That kid's yeah. At the before this all happened, he had been to about forty states and three countries, and right. I was looking forward to taking him to some places this year, and it was going to be our little travel year. But um, I, you know, I I'm doing well with it. It's kind of hard to you know I've. I said to my husband the other day, I was like, I need to go do a gig so I can remember who I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, who, who am I? You know, just like, you know, mom and wife right now. And it's weird. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I, I was I was in the suit section of a, a department store, the Banana Republic, because I, I do all my clothes shopping like the day after Christmas because I want the 75% off and I wear the same. <laughs> crap every day it doesn't i'm not seasonal this is yeah. this could be fly right? <laughs> so i take it in and i was in the suit department and i walked you know you know where the where they they keep the suits and i and i got like nostalgic of that used to be me i used to wear that That's right. yes I appreciate appreciate that you wear a suit, Joe. I mean, that's really cool. That's old school, man. That's like how my dad used to do it. You know, that's the way you're supposed to go on stage. And Absolutely. that's all kind of gotten lost these days. You know, everybody's in just like a T-shirt, you know. <laughs> but yeah. you do it the old school way. That's cool. I learned, I you know, I, I nicked the whole idea from, from you know, uh, people like your dad. So for those out there who don't know who your dad was the, the late Johnny Copeland, legendary blues man from Texas. And again, it was old school. Like when I saw pictures of him and Muddy Waters and B.B. King always used to be, there was, and he had razzle dazzle. He had a yeah. spark. Yeah. And, you know, even like when Eric Clapton was in his phase of like, they used to call him the Armani blues and he's dressed in a suit. And I was like, well, that seems okay to me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, now that I get the 75% off and, Thank God I'm the same size, but but um, uh, talk to me. Like we met a long time ago. I believe this was 1996 at a little venue in Long Island called Stevens Talk House. I believe it's in West Hampton or East yeah. Hampton, some yeah. sort of Hamptonish. We were both and kids. We were both kids, <laughs> and I opened up for you guys. What? And yeah, I opened up for you guys, and it was it was um, it was uh, yourself, um, your, your late dad, and you know he would sing some songs, you you would sing some songs, and 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 I just remember you came out, and you know I'm not like Clive Davis, okay, I, you know, but but I know I know a budding superstar when I saw him, <laughs> and you came out and you just tore the place apart, you know, with just. You just, it was like a bolt of lightning hit you when you got the microphone. And it was like a different, you know, you, 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 you just own the place. When did you realize you had that, that, that power, you know, just, just with your voice and your, your persona? It's funny that you should say that because back then, I mean, it, it was torture for me to get up in front of people. Like I, <laughs> I, I could, I hated it. And it's funny. I mean, I was, well into my career before I got comfortable being on stage. Uh, it wasn't until uh, I got older. I think I was getting into my late 20s. Um, I had already been doing this for 10, 12 years at that point, but I was in my late 20s. It seems like the older I get, the more comfortable in my skin, my own skin right. I get. That's, that's what makes me more and more comfortable on stage. You know, now, you know, I'm 41 years old, almost 42. And I just want to say what I want to say. And I feel comfortable doing it. And I'm happy about it. But it took a long time to get there. You know, it didn't happen overnight. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the same. <clears throat> I'm the same way. I, I, I have a few more laps around the sun than you do. I'll be 44 this year, but we're <laughs> generally the same age. And before I was like I was very timid to get up there and and I almost apologized with my body language and stuff like that. And after a while, you just got you know what? It, it is what it is. They're here to see you. They love you. Just give them a, you know 
Say what you say. And, and you know, you, you, you are who you are and you, the more comfortable you are with yourself, yeah. that yeah. that's infectious. Yeah. Once you accept it, then they accept it. It's pretty, you know, cool how that works. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's almost like, you know, it's it's almost like if you show fear, then the audience is a little bit taking it. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's symbiotic. I think that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. And... One of the things I wanted to ask you about, you made an appearance in a movie called Lightning in a Bottle with Robert, with, with Robert Gray. And you, I'm not just saying this, you and Robert stole the show. When you oh, covered Bobby Bland's I Pity the Fool. It was, it was so much fun. That whole couple days was just surreal for me to be there because so many amazing artists that you, you and I know and love were in that movie and gosh really sad now the so many of them are gone right so I, I was so grateful to be a part of that and get a chance to sing with robert crave but the only thing that i could think about with that is that i just messed a song up <laughs> and i'm glad it came off well but you know i'm such a perfectionist and he is such a perfectionist and so i was like oh gosh i should have zigged when i zagged <laughs> And every time I see it, that's what I think about. But um, I, I had so much fun doing that. I really did. It was a showstopper. And it was, uh, to me, one of the greatest versions of that song ever recorded. And and when you when you lifted that chorus or that bridge or whatever, or you came in and it was like, you know, I, I always say that, you know, you people play with bad intentions. You sing with bad intentions. You're like, <laughs> notice. But you said you screw up the song. Nobody would notice that but you, right? And I, I go through this myself like where you're so self-conscious about screwing. I screw up lyrics all the time on DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> you just, and I, just... I have a damn teleprompter. I have no excuse. And <laughs> when you think you go, oh my God, I just I just blew this entire show and stuff like that. And then you then you take a minute and you don't notice it. The yeah. crowd notices. You're, no. yeah. But you, you, but, <laughs> but it's funny. I mean, when you're singing your own stuff, which you do and I do, it's okay to mess up a little <laughs> until it's so well known that people at the end of the show go, you know, you should have sang this line, <laughs> which has happened to me before. Yeah, I, I'm dyslexic, and I screwed. We did. We did a tribute. Are to you really, Joe? I'm dyslexic. I, Me I, too. I, I have too. I have to memorize things. If I'm reading copy, I have to kind of memorize it. And I, I am dyslexic. I was, um, I, <laughs> I've, I learned that you, it's easier to read when you're dyslexic than it is to do math. So as a kid, I could do math like numbers in my head, but I couldn't do it if it was on paper. I would never come out to the right answer because I would always, you know. Right. Yeah, just transpose the numbers, but yeah, I was I'm I'm also dyslexic. I guess that's yeah. Yeah, I have a hard time like I I tend to if I'm typing somebody a message, I'll forget words. Like uh, I'll, you know, because I'm thinking faster than I'm, you know, than I can type. Mm -hmm. And and or if I'm reading it, I read things completely backwards and then it's you know, it's 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 part of, you know, it's part of who you are. You know, when I when I when I think of your catalog of songs, you know, you you've 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 ranged. You're not just a blues singer. You're 
you've seen rock, you've seen soul music, you sing, you know, your your new single um, that I want to talk about, Uncivil War, which came out months ago, right? Mm-hmm. And and I was like, I was listening to it, and I was like, damn, Shamika, she's got something she wants to say, and she wrote it down, right? <laughs> First of all, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get some, just some random numbers that come to your mind um, that I'll play the lottery because you predicted everything up until yesterday. <laughs> you Months know what? Before. I don't even know. Like we, you know, John Hahn and I, we, I'm always talking to him and we talk all the time and he says to say hi to you, by the way. Love John. We, we've been talking about all this stuff for years. So this album was recorded finished at the end of 2019, Joe. We had it in the can already. And then 2020 happened and we were all getting ready for it to come out. And I was listening to it myself and I'm going, oh my God, (laughs) am I psychic or psycho? You know, are are we psychic or psycho? Because it just, we were, we hit the nail on the head with this one, surprisingly. And I'm sad about it. I just produced a record for Eric Gales and um, we started writing the week that the, the George Floyd incident. And, you know, one of the things I kept asking him and Kev Mo would ask me to ask him or whatever. And it was like, what do you want to say? And all of a sudden this treasure trove of things that it's been on Eric's mind came out and like mm-hmm. and all of this, and we got these titles. How long had, had you been feeling that before you started to write on Civil War? Because I mean, it's very, very profound stuff, but clearly you had thought about this and, and it wasn't something like, oh, let's just, let's write a song about, you know, about racial injustice and civil unrest and <laughs> if it comes well, true. I, mean, I, you know, I am so fortunate that I have John Hahn and Will Kimbrough because I have ideas, but being able to put it together poetically, that's what they do. You know what I mean? Right. And cause I'm more literal when I, when right. I have things that I want to say, I would imagine Eric Gales is as well. Um, but when you put it pen to paper, what you want to do is make sure that people are listening to it with open ears and not right. listening to it on a defensive. And yeah. that's the difference between like good writing and great writing because right. people will shut down the instant that they hear it if there's one thing that's wrong that they don't like. You know, like I did a song called uh, Apple Pie in a 45 and it, it was about gun violence and stuff like that. And there was a line that I was just like, we can't use that line because this will make gun people go crazy. Uh, And there's just certain language that you can't use, you know, and you just have to be careful. And these guys are, and that's what I really, really love. Yeah. It's good to have have people that you can bounce ideas off of and, you know, great songwriters, they they tend to they, they take your words and they put them in a way that you go, oh, why didn't I think of that at the beginning? Yeah. Not yeah. the pay 50%. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what do you think? Um, you know, I, and I, I, I took the line myself because I don't feel my job as a guitar player, singer, whatever I am, I don't feel my job is to 
go out publicly and and state my list of either grievances or political opinions or or anything like that because at least my public persona i find that my job is to offer an escape from all of that mm -hmm. you know where do you stand where, where do you stand on that you know like with, as far as sharing your ideas you know that you know at least 50 percent or more of you know like 50 percent of people will disagree because right now it's just Lily. Completely split. Completely split. You know, I just stand on the side of what's like right and what's wrong. Um, right. But I never want to come off as preachy or anything like that. Yeah. But I do want to educate because I think a lot of it is ignorance um, on a part of some people just not knowing. Um, right. That's why we did the song Clotilda, which is about the last slave ship that they found off the coast of Alabama. I, it was so surprising to me when I posted it, posted that song, people just didn't know and they were happy to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's why I feel like it's important to do it in such a way that people have opening ears. They're learning something. You're not bashing anyone. Because with Uncivil War, you know, it was like, look, why can't, you know, we, we went back to Rodney King on their asses. Why can't we all just get along? <laughs> right, exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, come on. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of people won't remember that reference, Rodney King. You I, know. I know. I just remember. I just thought of that one. <laughs> We're showing our age now, you know. <laughs> I just thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, you know, I, I'm in the mind that, you know, I really agree with the, 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 the sentiment that you can't just surround yourself with people that agree with you. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. you have to have a discussion and, and. And and no pun intended, a civil discussion, and that's exactly. where we've gone off rails. You know, it's it's so crazy, Joe, to me that people don't get that. It's like, but there's just so much anger and hate. If people just actually sat down and had a conversation, you got a chance to understand me better. I got a chance to understand you better. We agree to disagree, and it it, it would be absolutely fine. But it's like this. Anger. It's like, well, no, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm, you know, and that's where the push and pull happens. And you realize, gosh, you know, what is the problem? There's something, I think, embedded in people that they just want to be hateful and angry. I mean, you know it. You see it on social media. I see it on social media. It's like they just want to attack no matter what you say. It could be the most innocent, peaceful thing. But it's right. like, let me just go on the attack, and then after I attack, go on a defensive. It's like it, it's it's crazy. So we got to get social media is wonderful and horrible all at the same time. You know, it, it is in yeah. in its purest form. It's a great way to market yourself. It's a great way to connect with your fans. In is when it's weaponized. That that's when it becomes that's when it becomes a problem. You know, I I I stopped my birthday campaign. Okay, I used to just. You know, I, I kind of nicked it from Slash. He would wish, you know, he wishes everybody a birthday if he sees it come up and stuff like that. And I would wish my friends a happy birthday when they were in the business. And please join God me. God forbid you miss one. Well, God forbid you miss one, A. But B, what, what I was, what I found was in certain, certain cases, some certain would just, they would come and go. And in certain cases, I don't know. Who has access to these the, the these people's bios or where they get their high school essays? 
You know, like, did you know in like 19, 1987 that so-and-so did said this or, you know, was a womanizer that, or I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know these. They're my friends. I don't. I don't ask them to. I, I'm not yeah, like. Well, all I know is I like the way the dude plays guitar. Get off my back. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. What's your policy on trolls? Because you're 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 feisty, and 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 I, and. You know what? They don't exist to me. Good attitude. Yeah. Don't even exist. Yeah. If it's uh, and half the time it just gets deleted or gets gone and I, I never even get to see it. So it's fortunate, you know, I just, you know, if you're an angry person and all you have to do is sit home and attack me, I feel sorry for you. You know, <laughs> you know, under, under the veil of anonymity, I mean, you post as Shamika Copeland, you know, I post as Joe Bonamassa. So I'm, we are, we are culpable in our, in our, what we say, you know, but, you know, you know, you know, blues fan 79, you know, with a star at the end. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it turns out this guy's name is Roger and he's, you know, and he hates everybody, you know, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I don't get it. Tell me about your trip to India. Cause I did that gig about 10 years ago, the, the Mumbai blues festival. I thought, I just thought it was the, the greatest, it was the most, I, it was the greatest, cultural experience of my life because it was so eye-opening yeah. and insane that people knew the blues that far away. I've done two trips in my lifetime that were were like that. One was when I went to Turkey for six weeks. Um, that was amazing. Wow. And then the, the next one was going to India. And I had gone, gosh, I can't remember years, Joe. It's horrible. I had gone before <laughs> and then right. it was like five years later. And then I went and I had just had my baby. I wasn't due to go there that year, but I was filling in for Charles Bradley had sadly passed away yeah. and they needed someone to take his spot. So I I went, but my baby was only six weeks old. Right. So I got on a plane and I went over there and I did the gig and it was just awesome. I mean, Billy Gibbons, getting a chance yeah. to just sit and hang out and talk with him. Forget about it. You know, he grew up in Texas watching my dad perform uh and he just just a great guy so we had we had a lot of fun you know um i i remember going to mumbai this was in 2008 and i was on the bill with robert cray and and we get there and and the first thing i noticed was if you think the air in 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 la is polluted oh try that <laughs> yes and, Yes. As a singer, you're like, on this is gonna get this is gonna get worse before it gets better. And um, what I what I I had never seen a dignity in poverty before. Because yeah. in America we are taught if you're poor, you, you don't have dignity, which is complete bullshit. Yeah. These people have nothing, but they're the most dignified you know, people mm -hmm. and the most generous for what they what they have. Yes, yes, I come. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And they work so hard too. right. And you know, and because and that's another thing here in America. It's like, you know, just be, just because I see so many homeless just here, they have jobs, but they just can't afford rent. They work. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, but you can't afford housing. So you yeah. 
So there is definitely dignity in being poor, for sure. And and to think about, you know, well, the thing that blew me away is, I was, you know, because we were, we were being shown around the city a little bit. You know, we were there a couple of days. And to think about these 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 poor children and adults and men, women, whatever, they there's no chance for them to get out. There's no they're it's they're still on the tiered caste system. So if you're born with the haves, you will have your yeah. guaranteed spot. If you're born a have not, you are guaranteed to be a have not. But they they don't the, the, they're, they're generous and they're, and they're extremely, you know, ex, ex, extremely inspiring. That, that was the one thing I took from that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the middle class kind of, they're, they, they just don't have it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, um, I was reading, you were born in Harlem. And your first gig was at the Cotton Club, the legendary Cotton Club. And yes. how, how, did, how did that come about? How did was it something through your father, or was it just this? Is it, well, it was. My dad used to play there all the time. The first time I ever sang there was Mother's Day, and I I had gotten in trouble. I was supposed to be at home behaving myself, and I must have been like nine years old, ten years old, but I got in trouble. So it was so close that my mom walked home, and for me, it was like the most horrible punishment because. She put a dress on me, which I hated. And right. then she forced me to go over there and be with the old people. You know what I mean? Because in right, my right. mind, that's what, it, that's what it was. And my dad saw me sitting in the audience. And I had sang with him around the house my whole life. But dad saw me sitting in the audience. And he said, he started playing this song that me and me and him sang at home called Stingy. And the mm -hmm. lyrics were, I got a boy sweet as he can be. The only fault he got that I can see. He's too stingy, stingy with the love for me. Great song. I've never even recorded this song. I need to record it. Right. But um, <laughs> he started playing that. And then he said, my, I've got my daughter here, Miss Shamika Copeland. And I'm going to have her come up and sing. Oh, my God, Joe. Woo! <laughs> I, was, I was horrified. Horrified. And this is on video somewhere, but you can see me kind of getting into it, you know, after I got to like the second chorus or whatever, it was okay. But yeah, that's how I started. And the, so from there, the guy who still owns the club, John Beatty, he offered me a gig to come sing with this gospel singer, Ann Sinclair, on Sundays. So I would come and sing a song with Ann Sinclair, and he'd feed me and give me a little bit of money. So right. that was how I got my first gig. <laughs> Uh, the I, I remember doing sitting at my father's band. He had a local band in upstate New York, mm -hmm. and um, I, I think it, the deal was if I, if I came down and sat in for half a set. This was in like the afternoon. They would they would do Sunday afternoons, you know, before football, and I, I would get I would get fish and chips and like ten bucks, and I was like, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, have me a I'll still play for fish and chips. They have yeah, to. Yeah, they had really good food at the Cotton Club, so I was like, "Yes, nice Sunday buffet, cool." Right. And when did like early on? Because there had to be a moment for you when when you 
you went up there, you started singing, you were nervous, you were like, oh my God, this is a little overwhelming. But there had to been a moment of uh, uh, when you go, you know, I, I really want this, and I, I really want to, I really want to do this as a career. When when was that moment for you? That happened about sixteen, like right around the time where my father got sick, and he was going through all his health problems, and I was going out, and I would do like the first set, and then he would come out and do the second set. Right. It was around that time. I always say I got a calling, you know, uh, because it just happened overnight. Because I didn't really want to be in the business because I. I thought the business, the music business sucked. I mean, I still do. <laughs> yeah, like, but um, I just was like, oh, this music business, I don't want to do this. And then, of course, like I said, I was not very comfortable being in front of people performing. So I was like, this is not for me. I'm, I'm going to go to school to become a psychiatrist. You know, that's what I'm going to do, because that's what the field my mother was in. But when I was about 16, it just, I was like, oh, my God, I I was born to do this. And my dad knew that all along. He was such a pain in the ass that way. You know, he knew from birth that this is what I was going to do. But of course, you know, as a kid, you got to fight everything. You can't just go with it. No, it would be (laughs) not, I'd be unteenage like. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned, you know, psychiatry because because I think the music business is 60% dealing with other people's mental problems. Exactly. And you know what I found? Like, not being able to perform for me, I didn't realize how much it helped me mentally. Like, you know, I I got a lot of stuff out up there on that stage. Yeah. Not doing that is really taking something away from me. Um, And that makes me angry. Like, you know, I get pissed off, you know? Right. this is not my normal. I'm supposed to be up there. I'm supposed to be doing it, you know? So, so it's, uh, t- t- tell the folks what you're doing at Lincoln Center. So it's a virtual concert mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going out next week to do that. And like I said to you before, I have not done a gig with my guys since February. And so we're going to get together, do some rehearsals and then do this. And I, I'm looking so forward to it. Like I said, I need to get out there, remember who I am, <laughs> sing some songs, get with my guys, you know, make some music. So I'm really looking forward to it. Do you sing every day? And and yes, but mostly it's just, you know, to my little boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause he's like, mommy, sing, sing me my, sing me my song. So on the very first, uh, when he was, after he was born, I did this album called America's Child. And on it, I did the song called Go to Sleepy Little Baby. And that's how the record ends. So I have to sing that every night, every night. Right. That's, yeah. well, that keep, yeah, it keep, keeps, <laughs> keeps the chops up, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes like, I make him sing it to me, though. Right. <laughs> it's like, Mommy, why are you shouting so loud? It's like... Uh, Quit it. I got I to gotta rehearse for a gig. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you about Dr. John produced the record for you. <sighs> yeah. Talking to strangers. Yeah. And he was just, he was just the greatest. Mac was, yeah. just, he was I the was, guy. I was devastated when he passed Joe because um, I, I just adored him beyond belief and I just got a chance to work with him and write with him. And 
he was just a special human being. He was just a special human being. In fact, on the new record um, on Civil War, there's a song on it dedicated to him. So um, it's called Dirty Saint. Right. And uh, yeah, I I loved it so much. It was like one of the best experiences of my life, you know, just being able to hang and, and talk with him. In the studio, he would all ha- always have candles lit, you know, yeah. and we would just sit and listen to the music and just talk about everything. And some of the stories that he told me, Joe, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> One time we were sitting and we were talking and uh, I told him that my cousin threw a shoe and hit me in the eye and that my eye just hasn't been right since. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to report that it's fine now because that was a really long time ago. (laughs) But uh, he was like, yeah, but you'd be strong. You'd be surprised at how strong your eyeballs is because when that dude shot my finger off, I poked one of his eyes out, but that other eye wouldn't come out no matter what I tried to do. <laughs> you know, I I got to think, you know, like, like the great thing about Dr. John was he was who he was. He was as advertised because after doing a festival with him, you'd see him in the lobby of the hotel the next day. But he, he's always had the hat with the feather and the cane with the skull. And he he was Dr. John. Because it would be a real disappointment if he just came down in like, you know, in like a Nike tracksuit and, exactly. you know, exactly. and he had a case for his shit, you know? <laughs> no, he was definitely that guy, you know, he always, you know, but he knew how to dress too. So when he came on stage, he'd have the nice suits on and did the things. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. When I went out on tour as a, as a young person, with BB, I had, you know, you have to step up your game, man. It's funny. I did my first tour with Buddy Guy and uh, um, Jimmy Vaughn when I came out, like that first record. And right. so Buddy Guy was like in overalls at that time. Like he was, you know, doing the overall thing with the right. Jerry Curl and it was so freaking cool. And, uh, and, so I almost felt like I was overdressed for that tour. Like I was like, what well, you know, I got on, I'm coming out with the, you know, sequence top, this is not gonna work. So right. I had to dress it down. But then my very next tour, I go out with BB <laughs> right. after I, you know, kind of started to dress down a little bit, I had to go go back to dressing up because you can't dress down when you're out with BB King. <laughs> so even Norman dressed up. Yes. You know? <laughs> Who could ever forget Norman? <laughs> yeah, Norman was the, he was the opposite of BB yeah. in personality. Like yeah. BB King, the salt of the earth, just be laughing and smiling. Norman, let's just say, was the opposite of that. He was the a complete opposite of that, yes. <laughs> But they looked similar. A lot of, lot of people, they, they, they looked similar and, and they dressed almost identical, you know? Yeah. And Yeah. I often thought that. I'm like, oh my God, I hope nobody thinks that this guy's BB because <laughs> he was not very friendly with this person. <laughs> uh, you're taking me back, Joe. Yeah. There was an issue with catering. There was, he would always berate the caterer about yeah. something wasn't right. And I knew I had made it 
after 15 years when I you I every once in a while I'll go see say hi to BB King on his bus and hang and whatever and he remembered my name he goes what's uh, up I was like whoa did BB play you all this like obscure music you never heard before on the bus yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what he always did. I'm like, who the hell is this person? And you know, and then you never ever could find it again. Like he would tell you about it, and then when you go try to look it up, forget about ever trying to find it because only he knew this person. <laughs> he had. He was. I, I remember this one story. He. I was in the back of his bus. He was playing me some very obscure, like Lonnie Johnson, The Lost Recordings, or something. And he had an iPod. And they had just come out. And he's like, can you imagine? I, I get, he goes, I get 10,000 songs on this thing, right? I'm like, wow. I said, hey, by the way, how do you get songs on the iPod? I, I had one. I couldn't figure out how to do it. And he goes, oh, no, no, you just do this. And, and he went to his MacBook or Apple computer. And he was like, yeah, you just, you just click on the ones you want. And you drag them over. And I go, I'm 28 years old. He's <laughs> 77. Mm-hmm. There's, I go. I gotta step up my technology game. Yeah. <laughs> he so much. He loved music, but he also loved like old recordings and stuff. I mean, I never forget going to his house, and he just had all kinds of videos and recordings of just like everything. And and then of course, you know, you look at the wall, and there's a picture of him with every sitting president since Ford, and then of course the Pope, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's BB. Yeah. <laughs> That's BB King, but yeah, I miss him. I miss. I even miss Grumpy Old Norman. <laughs> I miss Grumpy Old Norman. I miss the whole thing. It was yeah. like be able to set your watch to a BB King gig, no matter wh- how bad things got in the world. You go, you know what? There's at some point in time today, you know, Walter King's gonna step up to to the mic and go, ladies and gentlemen, BB King, and you, and it's all good. You know yeah. what I mean? It just you know, just to, just the introduction was enough for me. Oh, I was, always used to watch the intro. And, you know, I mean, how lucky are we, though, that we, we lived in a time when those kind of artists were still alive and got to and got to not only meet them, but befriend them and play gigs with them. We're, we're, yeah, I'm truly grateful for that. I do get a little upset about all the people I didn't get a chance to meet, but <laughs> but no, I'm I, definitely grateful for the ones I did. I am. Who's who's who other than Joe Bonamassa has made you starstruck? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the first time I ever met Coco Taylor, I couldn't speak. Like I, I just couldn't right. talk, you know, because I had listened to her for years, and I was just like, oh my god, you know. Uh, right. But um, I just, you know, I love people, especially when I meet them and they're good. Like you can, you meet them and you can tell they're just. Good. Like when right. I, when I, I remember meeting you, this was not really not meeting you because we met earlier, but after you became a rock star, right? And I was just talking to you and we were talking about young guitarists and how they start playing guitars. And I and <laughs> and I said most of the best guitar players are like just, you know, guys who are nerdy and that just sat home and played all the time. And that's how they got good at it. And you said, <laughs> I was one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was one of those guys. 
So the fact that this is Nerdville, it just cracks me up because that's, I, I remember saying that to you. I think it was in Natoden, Norway or something like that. So. <laughs> uh, and, you know, my line is, is like, sometimes when you're dateless on prom night, it works out for you. And I'm, yeah. I'm the older boy for that. <laughs> yeah. Shamika, I love you. Thank you so much for being here. You're, you're just a superstar in my mind and and, and, and in everybody's mind. You're you're you know, and I'm and I'm glad you're getting back out there and playing a gig. You know, we just gotta get the humanoids back in the room and you know. Yeah. Well, I hope to get to see you. I hope to hell, I hope to get to see anyone actually. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> One of these days. Uh, I'm, I'm holding on. I said, man, um, everybody's going to have to worry about mono after this is over because there's going to be a bunch of sloppy kids running around. Oh, yeah. 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 So. You know, I haven't had a cold in a year. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I mean, it's like, so you're like, it is what it is, but, um, yeah. you know, it's in just general human interactions are going to get less, you know, is it this exactly or that? That, that i don't look forward to that because i love hugging joe shoot i, I want to hug and kiss everybody right, right. exactly <laughs> but we'll 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 get back at it soon enough thank you i'm thank you for having me on your show oh thank you for doing this ladies and gentlemen the great shamika copeland until next time ladies and gentlemen this is joe bonamassa from new york city